And welcome here. It's good to see you in this, as Aaron said, this kind of week in between. I'm glad you figured out today was Sunday. I always figure, feel like I don't know what day of the week it is this time of year, but uh, so I, I'm, obviously the people who are here figured that out. Maybe some people who are not here. Um, hopefully you had a bit of time these holidays to you know, celebrate the holidays, that you got together with family or friends, you maybe you know, had traditions you had to fulfill over Christmas, things you ate that you don't normally eat. Or, um, the, uh, I see there's some people here that I don't recognize, so welcome here, those of you who are visiting, probably some of you are family and friends who uh, were here visiting friends in Winnipeg. Um, we, um, we've been preaching through, the, through December, there's been a series about prayer, but last week... Norm spoke, Norm is one of the other pastors here, he spoke about, um, about the interruption of the mundane, and he talked about the shepherds being out in the fields, doing their jobs, doing what shepherds do, having no idea what was going on around them. And in the midst of an evening, suddenly angels appeared to them, spoke to them, and just interrupted their mundane lives and said, there's something really, really special going on in Bethlehem. And sort of shook them up. They had to kind of, first they were afraid and then they had to kind of catch on to what was going on. And then they went down to Bethlehem and they talked about what they did and how excited they got about it. But it was, it was an interruption of, they didn't know this was coming at all. It was completely new, completely foreign, completely out of the blue to them. Well, today Janelle and I are going to talk about two other people who, um, who were waiting, who were looking for this. They weren't living their mundane lives just oblivious to what was going on. They were living their lives looking forward to what was going to happen and waiting to see. And in the, the passage we're going to look at today is pretty exciting because it was the time when suddenly what they've been waiting for came to be. So we're going to talk you through that and take a look at Last week, Norm talked about the interruption of the mundane. Today we want to talk about infusing the mundane with hope. That was Janelle's idea. Um, <laughs> That was my footnote there. So this is my daughter, Janelle. Janelle is, lives in Calgary. She um, works at the University of Calgary with a Christian ministry organization called Navigators. I don't know if people know about Navigators, but she does uh, ministry with university students at the University of Calgary, and she's been there for a year and a half. And uh, she and the rest of my family came in f- for Christmas, um, shocked a little bit at how cold it is. And uh, I tell them it's just Winnipeg winters. That's what happens <laughs> So, so this is Janelle. And this is my dad, John. <laughs> he actually attends this church, so you should maybe know who he is more than me. I confused a few people this morning who thought that they had just missed a person who'd been attending their church for a while. But don't worry, I've, I've only been here a couple times. <clears throat> so Janelle is, a, Janelle is a classic millennial. She was born in the 90s. She sort of came of age in, in, since 2000. Um, she has a Twitter account, has an Instagram account, has a Snapchat account, has a Facebook account, and keeps track of the world through all of that. She uh, doesn't watch cable TV for the most part. She watches Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube. That's where she gets her uh, television entertainment from. She listens to podcasts and she, uh, her music, she does music streaming. All of these are things that I don't do. So, um, <clears throat> um, she, uh, she eats a lot of avocados. And even for Christmas dinner, she uh, for Christmas dinner she cooked us Brussels sprouts, 
which we thought was pretty millennial to do that. <clears throat> uh, and my dad is the typical baby boomer. <laughs> um, was born in the early 60s, uh, has worked for the government for 20 years, lives in the suburbs, has a wife and two kids, um, and doesn't understand when I wear jeans with holes in them. <laughs> yep. Now, one thing, though, that I have passed on is I'm done the minivan stage. So we had a minivan for many years, but that's gone now because my kids have grown up. and uh, So I have moved on from there. Well, today, as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about hope and about um, when, we, when the traditional church... Advent, we, we light the four candles of Advent, and the first candle is usually the candle of hope. And uh, we're standing here, day after tomorrow is New Year's, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. So we're standing here at the end of 2018, just about the beginning of 2019, and I want to ask you to think about how do you feel? Is, was 2018 a good year or a bad year? 2019, what's it look like for you? I was reading some of the polls that are going on and people are looking at, as they're looking ahead, at least half of Canadians think that the economy is going to go downhill in 2019. I mean, that's just how they feel about it. They, they, they are not hopeful about the economy. There's also other things out there that are making people a bit pessimistic. So my question is, and the question we're going to look at today, is how do you manage, how do you manage here as we start to look ahead and you're looking to the future? Is it somewhere that you feel hopeful or is it not hopeful for you. Maybe I'll turn it over to you. What does uh, hope look like for a millennial? Speaking for all millennials out there. <laughs> so on behalf of a billion people or so, um, I think this is the, the best I could collect from my world that I live in on the internet and in real life as well. Um, I think the general consensus is that 2018 was a terrible year. <laughs> I think on the internet especially there's lots of jokes about how 2018 has actually been like 25 years long and like good riddance already uh, get rid of it. Um, I think uh, probably a lot has to do with our neighbors to the south. Um, there's a sort of attitude that we've backtracked on some things that we had advanced on. Um, like racial equality and women's rights and caring for the environment. We've kind of taken a few steps back when we thought it was full steam ahead. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of people who seem to care, which is quite a wonderful thing. Um, so there's a lot of young people that are really engaged in things. Um, there's a lot of probably armchair activism, but some real activism as well. There's teenagers leading marches through the streets for gun reform. Um, the U.S. midterm elections had the highest youth voter turnout of any election in the last 25 years. Um, and for myself, uh, on working on campus with students, I think we've seen a lot of, there's a lot of division and a lot of polarization. It's getting harder to talk to people with different views from you. Um, it seems like extremism is sort of being fed a lot. In Calgary, too, the economy is a little bit wonky, um, and so there's a lot of fear of the future, of what your prospects are going to be once you get out of university. Um, also, there's lots of issues with mental health going around, um, and just, yeah, just sort of a general distrust of the future, but also this belief that we can make the world a better place, which I think we're probably, millennials, we think we're really special, 
but probably every generation before us has also felt that way. When you're young, you think you can change the world. So there's a lot of frustration, cynicism, but then also determination and hope. Um, and that's, that's my summary of a billion people's feelings. <laughs> so what about, what about the baby boomers? How do we feel? So I also will speak for all the baby boomers out there. I'm actually late in the baby boom era. I, I was born in 62, so I don't know when it exactly ends, but about mid-60s. But I think lots of baby boomers, probably some are feeling like people in Calgary about, about the economy. They're not sure. We hear about the oil patch being bad. We hear about um, car manufacturing plants in Ontario closing down. We're, there's a bit of a feeling of, okay, what will, I mean, is the economy going to be good? What about my job? What about my pension, which is getting more and more important to me um, as I think about finishing work at some point in my life and think about retirement, is my pension going to cover me or not? And people are concerned about that. What would happen if I were to lose my job? Do I have any skills that I could sell anymore? I don't, uh, I don't use Twitter. I don't know how to do that. So I'd have to learn something there if that's how you know, jobs are going to happen in the future. I don't know what a gig job is and I don't know how to do that. So I'm, 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 um, <clears throat> but I think there is a bit of kind of anxiety. I think the other thing that we're feeling, people in my generation are feeling, is that we're a bit losing control of the world. We used to know how the world operated, and we actually were pretty good at, at both fitting into it, but also kind of managing it. And now things are happening that we're kind of losing control of, and some of that is some of the things you were talking about, um, about that are changing in the world around women's rights, around um, immigration stuff. I mean, cannabis in Canada. Cannabis was legalized there two months ago. Um, like, what's, where are we going from here? This is, I mean, lots of us are concerned about that. We're, we, I feel that people in my generation are be, beginning to feel like, wait a minute, the, maybe the millennials are taking over and the world is going to be formed in their image and how are we going to manage in that kind of a world? And I think, so kind of at the global scale, but then also at the individual scale is, okay, but what about me? Am I going to survive okay? Am I going to be all right? Am I, am I going to do fine in my life and are my kids going to do better than I did, because I think for generations, the last few generations in Canada, we always think that our kids are going to be better off than we were, and is that going to happen or not? So we, bit, we worry a bit, I think, and as we stand looking at kind of the, the bridge between 2018 and 2019, we're, are we hopeful? I'm not convinced we are, when we look at what is happening out there. Some things are hopeful, and some things are positive, and there are glimpses, and sometimes I do have faith in the millennials to say, you know what, maybe they will make the world a better place. But other times it's, well, yeah, but is, how's the world playing out and what's happening? And are we heading toward you know, more wars and more refugees and more things like that? And, but then the question is, is that where our hope comes from? Should we be hopeful because of how the economy is doing? Should we be hopeful because of political things? Should we be hopeful because of, or does ho- our hope come from somewhere else? So what we want to do today is look at two people in the Bible. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 which is the classic Christmas story, but we're going to follow, it's the part following the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And these are two people who are kind of minor players in the whole Christmas story. We were talking about this yesterday, and Janelle said, yeah, they're not the kind that you find in the carved nativity scenes. They just didn't make it that high. So they're kind of background players. But it's Simeon and Anna, who are, we talk about in Luke chapter 2, and this is the only place it talks about them, and all we know about them is in these, chapter, in these verses that we're going to look at today. But what we want to do is take a look at them and think about them as people who had hope, people who were actually preparing and planning for something exciting that God was coming and stepping into the world. 
So I'll let you uh, read us from Luke chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, as a little note before I read, now that you, well, you know, if you're still finding it, you've got another minute, so good, <laughs> good for you. Um, uh, when I think about hope, as I sort of summarize with this cynicism, it's very easy to get uh, caught up in that, and as a believer, I think I've been taught that I should have hope, and so um, this year for me has been trying to figure out how to make that hope part of my actual life. Um, and when we think about making the world a better place, I, have, I do have this deep-set hope that God is a God of justice and mercy and that he cares about those things and he will make the world right eventually. Um, and I think Isaiah 61 is sort of an excellent summary of that where it talks about bringing good news to the poor Binding for the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives. Um, and Jesus actually says he's the fulfillment of that. So I know that I should have hope. Um, and I have this hope in the somewhere future where God will restore everything and make everything as it should be. Um, and often my heart is very tired by the things I see around me being in the midst of it. And so that's reassuring. Um, but that can be a very passive hope, just an eventually hope. Uh, there's something in the distance that I'm just waiting for, and I'll just lie around until that happens, because what could I ever do? Um, but this year, our group of interns with the Navigators have been studying First Peter, um, and in the opening verses of that, he talks about how God has given us a living hope. Um, and that has challenged me, uh, because what does it mean for hope to be alive in my present tense and not just in some distant future. Um, And I was thinking about how hope can be this um, participation activity, and I thought of a very trivial example of that, is um, I'm a big fan of music, and I have a lot of musicians that I really love and follow, and you, uh, as like part of their fan base, um, you care a lot when they're gonna release new music, when they're gonna put out a new album. So there's like little clues that, that you can find um, to figure out when they're gonna release new music. Uh, so often they'll go quiet for a little while. Usually musicians will release music at the same time every couple years. Um, so often you can tell by like the cycle of the year and then their social media will go quiet for a while and then it'll like go blank, they'll like wipe everything off so it'll be like this clean slate and you're like, ooh, what's gonna happen? And then. And then they'll like put a cryptic picture up and that'll be it and you won't know anything. And like you'll hear rumors that they're gonna be on Saturday Night Live or something. (laughs) And then they'll drop a new song and you're like, oh, okay, it finally happened. But in that waiting period, you're not just, if you really care about the music that's coming out, you don't just sit around and wait for it. You like (laughs) get on Twitter, (laughs) you get on Instagram, you talk about it with your friends. In my case, I tell my friends about it even if they don't care at all because I'm too excited about it. I have like a new thing every week that I'm super excited about. Um, But hope is this participatory activity. Uh, You get involved in it. And how, so yeah, in a spiritual sense, how can I make this hope that I have in this distant future of God's justice and mercy, how can I make that a participatory thing in my life? Okay, now I'm going to (laughs) read. I'll come back to that later. So, from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 39. 
On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. So I'm going to talk about Simeon, and then Janelle will talk about Anna. But Simeon, it says, was a righteous man and devout. So he was somebody who was religious, he was interested in religious things, and it says, I have to find my right place here, it says in verse 25, so here Simeon was, he lived in Jerusalem, he was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this is, we could get into a long study of the Holy Spirit, but The Holy Spirit came into the church at Pentecost after Jesus had died and rose again and then the Holy Spirit came and now indwells believers. But before that, the Holy Spirit would come on people for periods of time, sometimes long periods of time, sometimes just for an individual event. And But Simeon was one of these guys. So this is like the Old Testament. This is the, the Holy Spirit came on him. So he's got the Holy Spirit who's spoken to him and, it, and he, could, he was given a promise. It says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So Israel had been waiting for the Messiah for a long, long time. The Messiah being the Christ, someone who was going to bring salvation to to Israel. And he was waiting. Um, Simeon was waiting. But he'd been told that he wouldn't die until he actually saw him, until he saw the Messiah. So I thought about Simeon. What kind of life would that be like? Every morning you'd get up and think, is today the day? Where should I be? What should I do today? Where is he going to show up? 
Simeon would get up in the morning, and I think probably, it doesn't say here, like he happened to go into the temple this time, but I don't know that he spent his whole time in the temple. Maybe he spent his days just kind of wandering around the streets. He'd go to the market, and he'd think, I wonder if he's here. Or he'd be out on the streets. He might be outside of the city, and he'd think, hmm, I wonder where this, where this uh, Messiah is. But every day he was waiting. And it says in verse 20, I think we're up to 26 now. It says it had been re- revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And then in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. So this particular day, he got up that morning, as he must have every morning, thinking, okay, is today the day? Is this going to happen? And this morning he got up and he felt, you know what, I need to go to the temple today. Something is going to happen at the temple. And so he went to the temple, and he's there, and what does he see in the temple? He sees this couple with a new baby. Okay, think about couples with a new baby. And no offense, Steve and Beth, but couples with new babies often are excited, they're happy. They're probably a little bit awkward because I remember feeling this when we had our first baby. We got the baby home and I thought, okay, we have a baby. Now what do we do? Like, this is ours. We're responsible for this. And you kind of feel like, okay, and everybody else who's had babies seems to know how to do it. But when you first have your first baby, it's like, okay, what do I do and how do I manage this thing? And, and, and I think probably Mary and Joseph are feeling a bit, a bit like that. They're in the temple court, so they have, they have instructions about what they need to do to consecrate this baby. So they do that. And they're carrying him around. Probably, I mean, they're excited, they're happy, a little conspicuous. And then Simeon sees them and goes, that's the one. That's it. And he goes over and he picks up the baby. Now take a look around. There's a baby there. There's a baby at the back. There's one back here. There's a few babies around. But he takes this baby and he holds it. And he says, okay, God, I'm done. This is it. You promised I get to see the Messiah. This is the baby that's going to be the Messiah. You've fulfilled your promise. I'm done. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Every day I got up waiting, saying, is this going to be it? Is this the day? Is this now? And now it's here. This is the Messiah. Which would be kind of exciting. But also, it's kind of just the very beginning of the story. What did he know about this baby? I mean, how? Like, he doesn't know the whole rest of the story. Like, what happens to this baby, how he grows up, all the things he does, and how he eventually dies for the sins of the world. He didn't know all that. All he knew was that this baby was the baby that God had promised. And so he comes and he picks up the baby. And then he makes some prophetic statements over the baby. Sovereign Lord, you've promised to, to dismiss your, service in peace, your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared in the sight of all people a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. And then he turns to Mary and Joseph. So he makes this, this statement about them. And then he turns to Mary and Joseph and he blesses the two of them. And then he says some very specific things to Mary. To Mary, he says, This child is destined to, be, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. So people are going to rise and fall because of this baby. There will be signs that he will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. So here's Mary, eight-day-old baby, just excited about this brand-new baby that had been promised to an angel to her. And this guy comes up to her and he says, you know what, this, this baby is going to rip apart Israel. Some people are going to be for him. Some people are going to be against him. And you, your soul is going to get pierced too. A little harsh words for a brand-new mom, I think. But 
What's interesting to me, and, some, and then one of the commentaries I was reading pointed this out. He says, your soul is going to be pierced too. And that too means somebody else's soul is going to be pierced. And it's that baby. That baby that he, so Simeon had some vision of what it was that was going to happen with that baby. So it wasn't just I saw a baby. It was there's a baby who, and he probably didn't know all of how it was going to play out, but he knew it was going to play out in a way that might not be the way everybody thought because their hope for the Messiah was that he was going to come in, become the king, take over, kick the Romans out, and become ruler. And Simeon said, no, it's not going to be quite like that. And he said, Mary, I'm sorry to tell you, but your, your soul is going to be pierced and so is his. But it's kind of the first glimpse that Jesus was going to suffer. And Simeon got to bring that message to Mary. So here's Simeon, waiting, hoping, expecting every day something is going to happen. He lived with God's promise, yet expectations, expectations in the everyday. Expectations that God was going to show him this Messiah. And he would have had to think about, where do you want, you want me to be, God? Who do you want me to talk to? Am I listening to your voice? Now that's a way of infusing hope in your life, is to go through your life with those questions. Okay, God, today, what, what are you going to do today? Where should I be? Who should I talk to? Is it the woman in the bus shelter? Is it my neighbor? Is it my colleague at work? Just living with hope. Just a side note, we need to be done by 12. Oh, well, all right. (laughs) Um, So, Anna, on the other hand, um, we don't get her exact words as we did with Simeon. Um, We don't know too much about Anna. We know a few things. Um, One is that she had experienced tragedy in her life. So she was widowed after just seven years of marriage, Um, and you got buried very young at that time, so she was definitely younger than me and had already lived a whole life um, that I have not lived. Um, But she, in this story, is very old. Um, That's what we know about her. She was either 84 years old, which for that time is crazy, um, or she had been widowed for 84 years, which is even crazier, uh, because then she would be closer to 100 Um, We know that she spent her time in the temple, that she made her home there. Um, She would have signed up for every slot in your prayer and fasting thing because she was just there. That's what she did. She prayed and fasted and worshipped. That's what we're told about her. We're also told that she's a prophetess, which means that she's someone who hears from God and then speaks his word to others. So on that very same day um, that Simeon had made these big proclamations. Um, She also goes up to Mary and Joseph and their baby uh, and identifies Jesus as the Messiah. She turns to the people in the temple and says, this is the one we've been waiting for. (laughs) Yeah, which Mary and Joseph had already had quite a day, so this was just another additional thing of someone who is known to be able to hear from God for her to proclaim that is a big deal. Um, I find Anna fascinating because she receives one small piece of the puzzle like Simeon does, and she didn't get to live to see much of the rest of the story, probably, um, because she was already quite elderly. So she didn't get to see what Jesus became 
or his moments of glory or fame or anything. She just knew that he was the one they'd been waiting for. And her, what I find interesting is that her situation remained unchanged. Her people were still oppressed. Um, she was still a widow with no status in that society, and yet she had this glorious hope. And that's what I have been asking, is how to, how, how can I steal that aspect of Anna? Um, and I think the answer comes in that she spent her time in the temple, is that she made God her home. Um, she stayed close to God, and she was paying attention. Um, she spent her time praying and fasting and waiting actively, participating in the waiting. And so she was paying attention and so God gave her a role to play in recognizing the hope that he had brought. My friend uh, Victoria wrote a really beautiful Instagram post the other day about hope as I was preparing for this. So then I just stole some of her quotes from it. So full credit to Victoria. Um, she said that hearing from God and hearing his promises is like watching a really good movie trailer. Um, it gives you just enough to make you really, really excited to see it play out, but not spoiling any of the important details. Um, and a really good trailer makes you want to go watch the movie. It makes you want to get involved and see more. And Anna had heard these promises. Lots of people in Israel had heard these promises that God was going to send someone to redeem them. Um, but she had decided to get involved. She had decided to jump in, and so she was paying attention. She was staying close to God, worshiping, praising, and she couldn't help but recognize hope when it arrived because she had her eyes open to it. So reflecting on Anna's life for me, um, when I think about those promises in Isaiah 61 that I was talking about of God's future justice and mercy and how he's going to make everything right again, um, I have this fear of becoming passive, but I think... I need to think about those promises more, not less. Um, I need to believe that those promises are actually going to be fulfilled in my life, not just in a hundred years, but today and tomorrow and the next day. Um, so I'm praying for the focus of Anna, because um, she had this amazing discipline and focus of, of praying and fasting and worshiping, which is really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to do those things well, and she practiced them and was an expert at them. So I'm praying for that kind of focus and discipline of Anna, and also for the eyes of Anna to be able to recognize hope when it's fulfilled. So as we stand on the cusp of 2019, there's a couple of examples here. These people didn't live in a world where there was a lot of hope. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were subjugated by them they did what they did but there wasn't any there wasn't any great um the economy wasn't going to go up you know the political situation didn't look that great ahead of them probably they didn't know where their pension was they were just living their lives but hope came to them or they grabbed on to hope anna for example was somebody who just prepared herself she was ready she prayed she worshiped she stayed there Mary Sawatsky here tells me that she can't drive so much anymore, can't drive at all anymore, she doesn't see so well, but she said, I can still pray. But, she, but Anna was preparing. She was preparing, ready for when that, that came. 
And we've got the opportunity as a church, there's a prayer and fasting um, season that we're starting in January. And that's a, that's a chance to participate, to prepare, to be ready for what, what's going to come. And then Simeon was a guy who had a message from God saying something very special is going to happen. And he spent every day saying, okay, God, what is it today? Is it going to happen today? Where should I be? What should I do? And I think that's a lesson for me, too, is as I go about my mundane life, I get up in the morning, I eat my breakfast, I take the bus, I go to work, I do my work, I come home again. Am I listening to God's voice to say, okay, what should I, who should I be talking to? Should I be aware of who's around me? And where, what should I speak into their lives? But live a life not waiting to be interrupted by the mundane, but expecting, no, the other way around, not being interrupted, my mundane life being interrupted, but, the other, but rather anticipating, expecting, waiting for God's interruption, his infusion of hope into my life, into my existence, into my being. We should prepare ourselves and we should be listening and watching just like Anna and Simeon.